podcast ain't played nobody. Bill, I'm still, I'm still reveling in the fact that I covered a game that mattered this year. And I'm still reveling in the fact that it is Sunday when we're recording this, <gasps> so you have to listen to my don't tell terrible. Them. You have to listen to my terrible hoarse voice that I'm hoping that by Wednesday, when I record the other part of this, uh, that I'll have overcome. But for now, you have to put up with it as I suck on Hall's drops here. Um, this podcast ain't play nobody's college football marriage numbers and words. That's the robot Bill Connolly. Um, he is the inventor, proprietor. Skeletor of the S&P Plus analytics system. The system that put Fresno State ahead of Florida State this week. Wow. I mean, just why don't you take out a billboard for crazy rednecks to scream at you? Uh, my name is Stephen Godfrey. I did journalism, like a kind of in-game journalism for like a hot minute. Where's my Pulitzer? Um, I was at Penn State, Michigan. I have um, in years recently decided, as have most of the college football capital J journalists, I guess, um, to not really do the beat system of like, this is the big game this week. This is the big game next week. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about Penn state. And we're talking a little bit about Georgia Southern for, cause we do have an abnormally large Georgia Southern, uh, group here, yes. which means you get to talk about New Mexico state for a hot second. <laughs> um, but well, not, nothing this week, but you know, uh, I'm out actually, as you listen to this. So Bill's going to finish the back end of the show. Um, with a special co-host to be determined, but it won't be determined for you. You're just going to hear it happen, and you're going to know by the time you turn this podcast on. Um, Witchcraft. I went to Penn State. So here's what we used to do. You remember this, Bill. Uh, I would, it was usually me, I would go to a big game. Like off the top of my head, I can remember in 2013, I was at Georgia LSU. A big game. Two ranked teams, right? That was the shootout game with um, Mettenberger and Murray. And Georgia won. And it was really fun because it was like a functional LSU offense under Les Miles for a hot minute. Like Cam Cameron had a pass, like a pass tree that, that completed passes. It was crazy. I was there. I saw it. Um, and so, like, I would get up. We were trying to, like, rethink the future of journalism or whatever. So, like, you would cover the game and you would write something about the game. But then you would also do as much as you could during the day. And, like, game day was there just like game day was in Happy Valley on Saturday and you like I used to like go to all three hours of game day, wander around, like take Twitter pictures at the time it was vines, like and people would eat that up. And then like it's funny, like people have moved away from caring as much about what goes on at game day. Like I don't know, I'm not talking about the television ratings, and this is not me throwing shade at ESPN. I'm talking about just our SB Nation sort of like viewer, our readership seems to have gravitated away from like, whoa, look at that crazy sign, right? And also we have really talented people that work on staff that can grab that stuff off the screen. Um, So the whole like man on the street thing has dwindled in recent years. The reason why I bring this up is simultaneously we've moved away from like covering big games because what am I saying after the game at 1 a.m. that you don't necessarily know from watching the broadcast slash being in a live chat slash reading your team blog. We're still trying to figure all this stuff out. I went to Happy Valley. It's been a while since I did a big game. The last time I was at a the last time I was at a football game that mattered, Bill, was the Fiesta Bowl. Was the was the <laughs> playoff semifinal when Ohio State got got the old buck shot from Clemson. Okay, so I was rusty. I get there and like I don't even do game day because it's not really like of interest. But I got there. I got to Happy Valley. Like I was staying far out of town because I didn't have a hotel. I probably got to Happy Valley at like eleven game kicked off at like eight or something and so i had time to kill and i just wandered right did did what i used to do 
didn't have much of like cell phone reception or whatever. And I went tailgate to tailgate and did like the kind of stuff we used to do. And he, and like maybe Bill, it's because I'm older and I just don't have a natural interest in like, Oh my God, look at these people. They're so trashed and they're doing shots <laughs> off of a blank, you know, whatever, or like they're doing this or slapping like, like two years. And I say this two years ago at Clemson for the Notre Dame game, people were making, like I ran into random people and they made me slap the bag, the Franzia thing. So it's like, I'm not that old, but I was struck Bill and I want to ask you about this because you went to Missouri. Then Missouri occupies this sort of like hinterland weird space between north and south. And I'm trying to figure out what I experienced on Saturday was a north-south thing or a Midwest thing, even though Pennsylvania is definitely not the Midwest. They don't tailgate particularly well, okay? So just – and by, don't scream in your car if you're listening to this and you're a Penn State fan. What I mean by that is, like, we define – Bill, like, we define tailgating now as, like, an Anthony Bourdain television show, right? Like, it's <laughs> it's like it's opulent. It's food and booze-based. Like, the crazier it gets, the more we respect it or the more intricate it gets, the more we respect it and people spending money. And, like, I ran into Andy Staples in the game and he was telling me about being at LSU the week prior and, you know, all these people with these elaborate setups, right? <coughs> Sorry, sneeze. Leave it in. Penn State was not like that. There's hundreds of thousands of people there, and they're all just sort of pacing around before the game. Like, they have a setup, <laughs> and they have, like, they're grilling, and they're drinking, and, like, they're definitely drinking, right? I don't want, you know, I don't want to convey the fact that, like, it was, it was a Bible study. It was not. But it was the most focused, and it was the most restless major tailgate I've ever been to. I walked the entire. I walked around the entire stadium three times, and I would go at like different links and layers, like around, weave through all these parking lots and grassy areas and stuff. And I made a mental note of. I would stop and and make a note every time I saw anything related to Joe Pa. Huh. It happened four times. Oh, four times weaving. Not sixty. I, Bill, I'm as shocked as you are. Huh. And like, I didn't count one T-shirt that I saw from about fifteen feet away that said like. We are because he was, and I assume that was either about Joe Pa or possibly about maybe it was like a youth Christian organization at Penn State. I don't know. I didn't want to be like, hey, is that Jesus or Joe Pa? Um, <laughs> I've just never seen a fan base more dialed in on the game itself. And like, I, so here's my problem, Bill. I went to the complete opposite college in which, like, the experience is almost always more about the tailgate than the than going to the stadium and worrying about the football game. And then the the school that I've spent the most time at, other than Georgia Southern growing up, is LSU, where it is more about how much you can physically bear at a tailgate before you go in and act like a psychopath. And I think they've lost <laughs> I mean, I talk to a lot of hardcore LSU fans in like LSU, people that are connected to LSU, like that work on the staff, they're like, you know, I think it's like kind of like Death, Death Valley's kind of lost its edge. Nothing to do with Ed Orgeron or, like, winning or losing or anything. Just just the environment itself. Like, it got a little too nice in Death Valley. I haven't smelled urine at all the last three times I've been there. Wow. It's, which is, like, really, to me, the benchmark. Now, I haven't been in there, like, in the visiting section like I was when I was younger, but, I mean, I don't even see anybody get hit in the face. Like, it's a different day in at LSU. Now, at Penn State, didn't see any fights, but I just saw more focused football fans. And I remember when I went to your alma mater back in, what year was it that you guys lost South Carolina on the doink? Uh, yeah, the year you were banned from ever coming again, dun, dun, 2013. Dun. Okay, 2013, right? Same season I went to LSU, Georgia. There's that same focus. I will throw a little shade that some of your people were worried about the Cardinals game. Okay. Um, 
Because Cardinals were in the World Series that night. Yeah. Or and also, yeah, I don't want baseball doesn't matter. I wasn't happy about it either. Well, because you're a Buccos fan. Um, well, I'm the I'm definitely not a Cardinals fan. Let's put it that way. I'm just a little shocked. Like, is this a Big Ten? Th- are Big Ten fans better on game day? So how spread out is the Penn State tailgating scene? Obviously, there are a lot of lots right around the stadium, and there's a lot of grass around the stadium yeah, that I assume they allow people to park in. Yeah, it's 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 packed in every direction. It's a it's a big land grant yeah. school, and there's a main road, and then. Um, like it's up, it's, I want to say up against, there's still like 200 yards between the buildings of like their, uh, basketball right. arena and their hockey arena, which are separate buildings. Like you can just, you can fit a okay. lot of people in all the, and then across the street from the stadium on one side is, I believe it's a dairy farm. I know it is a farm part of the ag stuff, but I think it's a dairy farm. And so, and also like they're focused or whatever, they still had like food and drink in hand, right? Yeah, I'm not trying to paint it out like it was BYU, and I, I mean like, or, or they weren't they weren't getting debauchers. There was debauchery, but it was also just this general feeling of like, you didn't see anyone being like, I'm gonna pass out at the tailgate, and not even make it into the game. Like, no, everyone had white on. Everyone did what they were supposed to. Everyone was just everyone was talking about the game. Like I'm walking around, and someone has like the the speakers kind of blaring out of the back of the truck, and it was like. I don't even remember if it was ACDC or if it was like Zeppelin or whatever. It was some classic sort of like fire you up, bro-y 70s rock song. And these people are just like, kick it off right now. Kick it off right now. It was just weird. I'm probably doing a poor job of conveying it. But again, there's just such a social – there's such a, uh, a social necessity imbued into SEC tailgating that like – and I know I went to Ole Miss, so I'm on one extreme end. But I've also been to every SEC campus. It, I've been to every SEC campus at least three times. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's not even hey, you, Kentucky. I was about to say uh, you've only been here once, so go to hell. Um, oh, wait, oh, I didn't count any of them. Is there? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I know. I didn't. Hang on. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't. I'm not. I shouldn't laugh. It's funny though. How many years has it been, and I still don't. Sorry. I've been to Missouri once, and I have I still haven't been to College Station because they won't credential us. Uh, this is why I'm finishing this podcast with somebody else. Um, my bad, baby. You said I couldn't come back. <laughs> so I, I, my initial thought as you were as you were laying this out was maybe it was just that it was a big game, and like when you know compared to Ole Miss, where there aren't as many big games, maybe it was kind of a there's a but no, but I thought, but I've done big games well, there, I know, but like that's like the the two best Missouri tailgates I can remember are two of the biggest games that I can remember. Like the 2010 Oklahoma homecoming game was the best tailgate ever, best best day ever, game day. But the game was also really, really big, and Missouri yeah. got to move to whatever they were, fifth in the country for winning. So that doesn't that doesn't check out. Um, I don't know. I mean, you're, you're, the vibe you got in our lot in, in Missouri, like we're talking mostly about other teams and whatever beer yeah. or bourbon we have in our hand at the moment. Um, so but then when I, when I, when I was in Missouri and I went to reactor and I went to lot X, lot, yeah, was, lot X was the, uh, the Thunderdome lot. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there was, what I'm saying was like, as, as crazy as Penn state fans are and they trust me, trying to get around town on Friday was a nightmare. So it was downtown. Like I don't, again, I am not trying to short sell the, the ability for <laughs> Penn state fans to get drunk and act like idiots and, and be mean and stuff like they, they're very, they are aces just like every other college kid is. But on game day, I've never seen a fan base so focused on the football game like seven hours before. And maybe that's why they get away with pulling off whiteout the way they do. Because uh, 
Oh yeah, no it, co- cohesion. It has to. You have to believe that that you can tell a hundred thousand people to do something they will. <laughs> Otherwise, it's going to look stupid. It just it kind of blew my mind. I don't know. I've I've walked around. I, mean, I was trying to think about. I walked around a lot of tailgates. I've been to a lot of college football games, and I've just never seen. I've never seen that many people wired in and not like more focused on, hey, it's a Saturday, it's a fun day, I'm going to go get wasted, or hey, we got to go see these people, they're friends of ours, and we're going to go over to this tailgate. It was just like people standing around kind of tapping their tapping their toe a little bit and being like, there's six hours until game. It's six, <laughs> it's six hours until kickoff, and I want to murder everyone here. I want to go back to the whole not a lot of Joe Pot thing. Dude, I know. Uh, you see, so, so the, the most prominent thing, this is my third... Third or fourth time to Happy Valley since Franklin was hired. Uh, you see a lot of the 409 stickers on cars, um, but by a lot, it's just not what I expected this time around. The last time I was in the stadium was a spring game, and they were not particularly good back then, so people still had reason to complain about things. Um, I don't know, man. I saw four Joe Paw signs. And and they were all the three were cutouts that people had at their tailgate, and one was like a poster, and that was it. And by the way, four hundred nine is the number of wins he had. Not pre, the cleaning product. Pre vacation, right? I think so. Yeah. 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 Well, and no, by the I, way, so, and someone and a uh, friend of the program, um, uh, Ben Jones from StayCollege dot com, mm-hmm. he told me he goes, yeah, you know, there's like a Joe Pa thing in the intro video. I must have missed it. Because they do a bunch of intro videos, like, before the people come out. And by the way, like, the five minutes or so before and after Penn State takes the field during a whiteout is pretty damn amazing. <laughs> and I am a cynical person. No, I, that's, that's always been – I've been to State College a couple times. And, you know, I, first time was on our way back from Newport last summer when I had the wife and kid in tow. And we're just, like, kind of driving around, walking around, thinking this is the coolest – this is the most college town, college town I've ever seen. You know, you've got your bars. You've got pretty good bars. You uh, think so? Because I just think it's – I think the city's like – I think the area is pretty, but the city's unremarkable to me. Well, I mean, there's a, there's a, a row of pretty good restaurants, both the, the kind of the, the traditional type and then a couple of newer places that I tried this last time that I liked a decent amount. you got the okay. dairy. you got yeah. a pretty campus. Um, you, it's I, fine, it's, by the way. I said unremarkable. I think we yelled at but, like, it's just fine. It's fine. Yeah. I just didn't. It doesn't draw me in any one particular way. It's right. fine, but it's but it's a very idyllic kind of college town. Like not, maybe nothing like a, a, a lot of standout stuff, but it's a it's a good college town. Except then you go into one of those traditional restaurants. Um, what was the one corner room? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's Joe Pa. It's just that you go into a bookstore, yeah. there's, there's and I didn't do Joe that. Books and a, yeah. and a Joe Pa yeah. cutout. And, and I didn't do that this time. I've done that before. I've walked around. So I'm not saying it's dead. It's not. No, I would have just assumed in a tailgate environment. You exactly. Would have... I would have assumed that on a day like this when Penn State takes hold of the national attention that you would have had what, what people in certain circles of, uh, not so affectionately refer to as the Joe Bots. Yeah. Sort of pushing this idea that, you know. But, I mean, Franco Harris can only be in so many places at one time. <laughs> wow. So... Um, I was just really shocked. I was, um, and maybe that speaks ill of me, but again, um, having the experience I've had in the South, um, I understand stigma and I understand reality and I understand like the, the separation between 
um, a negatively earned but a justifiably earned reputation and then the reality of what individual people from that place are actually like, right, and that you suffer stereotypes for the wrong reasons. Um, but, I mean, also, you know what? None of that matters because they have a really good football team. And everything that Franklin had to sort of, like, say out of his ass for a year came true four years later. Yeah. And for a while there, someone who knows Franklin pretty well, I was like, I don't know if this is going to work. <laughs> um, I remember just kind of going up there and folding my arms at one point and being like, oh, man, he is really doubling down. Uh, but it did. It worked for now. Um, so, yeah, I just want to talk about that because what I want is feedback. I know we have, like, a dedicated Wisconsin click that, that's, that's PAPN. I know we have – I don't think any of our Purdue fans that listen are actually a Purdue fan. I think it's just, like, a meme that they've all yeah. adopted. But um, I made a joke, apparently, on last week's Wednesday show – about the sweatshirts, did you were did you were you privy to this Twitter thread? Uh, sweatshirts or some sweatshirt weather? People who wear sweatshirts to games and how it was an insult in the Big Ten. Um, and by the time they were getting, by the time those individuals were getting on to me, I was already in state college. Um, yeah. And I was wearing a sweatshirt at the time. Uh, I just I don't know, man. I was really really taken aback by it. And I've covered game, I've covered games in every league and all all across the country and that kind of stuff. And I try to call it like I see it. You know, like as much as I love Austin, the University of Texas is one of the most disappointing in-stadium experiences you'll ever have, <laughs> which I still don't understand. Actually, I'm an Atlanta Braves fan. I do understand that. It's the exact same. Com- <laughs> see, I'm not talking about win-loss. It's just the exact same complacency. Right. It's so weird. Um, it so, is a lot of old white men screaming too. So before we, I, I kick you out of here because you are mean, um, I wanted to get to at least one reader question here. Uh, our friend John Ringer from Richmond, Virginia, he says on the Sunday show, both Bill and Steven said, quote, Auburn is fine. Auburn is a top 15-ish team. This was last Sunday's show. Okay. Auburn fans are panicking and feel that Malzahn has developed a pattern. Now, he, he emailed this before the Arkansas game, but they've already killed a couple of other teams this year, too, so I doubt it's changed all that much. Right. Auburn fans are panicking and feel that Malzahn has developed a pattern of beating the weaker teams in the SEC and losing to the good teams. And in those games against the good teams, the Auburn offense is very ineffective, especially in the second half of those losses. This is what you were saying last week, too. Yes, second half, very bad. Uh, Gus Malzahn seems to be a risk taker as a coach when he be, seemed to be a risk taker as a coach when he began at Auburn. Now, man, I'm losing my voice fast. Now he seems one of the most conservative coaches in the nation. Auburn fans thought things would be great now that the team has, has both a very good defense and a quarterback, but they are, but things are not great. Um, please let Auburn fans know what you think about Malzahn, especially compared to any potential replacement. How good a coach is he compared to the rest of the SEC? Could Auburn realistically get somebody better? Um, they would. Well, let me say this up top in talking to people because the the higher fire is is officially underway. We'll talk about Georgia Southern in a second. They have four games left: A and M, Auburn, ULM, and and Iron Bowl. They would have to lose every game but ULM. A and M, Georgia. You said what did I say? Oh, I'm sorry. A and M, Georgia. Uh, at I'm sorry. At College Station, mm-hmm. they get Georgia at home. Huge game, right? Probably. I mean, it, not up there with Georgia, Alabama, or Penn State, Ohio State, but close. Um, and then they get ULM at home, and they Iron Bowl is in Auburn this year. Okay. Yes. <sighs> yeah, I could see that it, when you lose to your two rivals at home that are both ranked in the top five, Bama being probably the best team in the country. And then if you would also have to lose those two, they'd have to get wiped out, which I think is possible. 
and then you would also have to lose at A&M for this to even be a conversation. Now, that would put them at five losses? Yes. Yes, five losses, the other two being LSU and Clemson. None of those losses minus A&M is something you could really sort of – I mean, I say a and is probably akin to LSU on, on terms of good, bad loss. Five losses is definitely enough for crazy Auburn to get crazy, okay? Yeah. Now, we don't – do you think that's going to happen? No. Okay, neither do I. I think they're going to beat A&M, and I think they're definitely going to beat ULM, and I think they're going to scare the crap out of one of those two teams. That, I think they're probably going to, they're probably going to go two and two, so they're probably going to finish eight and four, which is a nightmare scenario. <laughs> yeah. I think – let me put my psychic hat on with my work wife here – that you're going to say he's a really good coach. Okay. I mean, yes. I mean, he he's, he's clearly one of the top 15 or 20 head coaches in the country, I think. What, I think the question we're getting, because I'm getting versions of this on Twitter as well, it is not, it, what, you are not asking for an assessment of your coach. You're asking us for an excuse to fire him. Right, exactly. Like, can we just go ahead and fire him? That's, that's basically what all these questions are asking. Yes. Like, I, I know he's good, but come on. Yeah, no. I mean, you can't. You're free. It's legally uh, an option if you were to, to do that. But this falls very, very squarely in the Glenn Mason kind of thing where, mm-hmm. no, it's going to be very, very hard to replace him with somebody anywhere near as good because – Hiring coaches is a massive crapshoot and always will be. And I realize it's like bird in hand and all that. But, I mean, here, here are the last uh, – since Pat died, you hired Terry Bowden, Tommy Tuberville, Gene Chizik, and Gus Malzahn. God, that's a lot of crazy years. Let's yeah. just stop for a second and pay respect. And, and Pat Dye wasn't that wasn't a sane time. No, 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 no. There's never a sane time in Auburn. Look, Arkansas, I love you to death. You can work yourself up into probably a, a stronger frenzy, but you will never be Auburn. No one will ever be as crazy as Auburn boosters, forever. And I love him for it. Like something about this job too. I mean, like Tommy Tuberville, in in his last. Five years, he had two top ten finishes, mm-hmm. and he was still run out of town. Oh, bad! And and I mean, the way it, it went about for him, it was kind of understandable. At least he went five and seven. Remember <laughs> Al Borges? <laughs> yes, I do. Um, I also remember Baby I'm Burning. Um, so then ten, ten year anniversary coming up. Yeah. So then Gene Chizik. First of all, hiring is a crapshoot. That ended up basically being the bad hire we all said it was, only you won a freaking national title in the middle of it. which Boot coming, boot at the airport, wins a national title. Tuberville didn't technically win a national title. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, that's still just one of the most awe-inspiring. He was in, tw- in 2009, 11, and 12. He was 19 and 19. And he also won a national title. It's unbelievable. Um, but anyway, there was a lot of crazy there, but that hire ended up basically being the quality that it was supposed to be. Only you managed to get Cam Newton in the middle of it and, and Gus Malzahn in the, uh, to start out. But uh, Malzahn is, I think, as good, well, uh, better than Chiswick, but at, probably as good as Tuberville. Mm-hmm. Um, has, you know, at least a little more staying power than Terry Bowden. Who, who basically was the same kind of like come out of the gates on fire and then get caught up in all the Auburn mess. But he's a good coach. 
And maybe you could make an argument. The national title makes this muddy, but you could make an argument he's the best coach you've had since Pat Dye. If you think you can do better than that, go for it. But the odds are very, very much against you in that regard. Um, Also, I want to point out the fact that I've yet to see a consensus on a replacement, which is weird. It's almost sort of a vacuum there because A&M fans have names. LSU fans after after Troy had lots of names, right? LSU fans last year had names. Um, I mean, hell, even Arkansas is making a list. Yeah, they're not thinking about names. They just they just want they, to. Ex- yeah, it's pure. That's what I'm saying. It, it, it's pure. It's just pure anger right yeah, now. He really does overthink. That you know, that's still the 2016 Clemson game last. Uh, you know, to start last year was still the most incredible. Just uh, you know, the it, you now go to a quarterback. Now you do this, and we're just going to run the same plays with everybody, and maybe it'll work eventually. Like that was. Yeah some of the most desperate off offensive coaching I've ever seen. Um, and he does seem to fall into certain conservative ruts at times. Uh, still a very good coach, still going to win probably nine games uh, after the bowl this year. Still uh, on th- that means uh, among other things, Tommy Tuberville had uh, a losing season at the beginning of the end, uh, beginning and the end Gene Chizik had a three and nine season at the end. Uh, Malzahn will have never been worse than seven and six. If you told me right now that this this uh, good but not great uh, madness drives them to go after Jimbo Fisher to get the Saban-ish Saban, get that Saban, get that Saban rub all over him, because keep yeah. in mind they're watching what George is doing right now. Yeah, um, I wouldn't be shocked at all if they did something crazy like that and put put Malzahn out on his butt. Hey, Bill, just real quick, I want to commit this to the record. Okay. Um, if they go after, if they fire Gus at eight and four mm-hmm. and they hire Fisher or someone else, <laughs> right? He's probably going six and six this year. Yeah. Gus Malzahn should go to Arkansas. Hell yeah. I'm all about that. I'm all about that hate. I'm all about that madness. Bring that madness I do love back. the incestuous uh, nature of the SEC West. It pops up at random times. It's lovely. Whew. Extra little layer of rivalry in there. That's really nice. Man, it is uh, Houston Nut, Tommy Tuberville, now Gus Malzahn. Western team to Western team. I love it. I think there's another one, too, I'm not thinking of. All right. Um, real quick before I get out of here, Georgia Southern yeah. fired Tyson Summers because he is yes. bad. They yes. are bad. Yes. They have done everything everything that you can imagine wrong since being not gifted, but definitely doing everything that made them so good in the FCS level, upsetting Florida and setting themselves up and recruiting to come in and really just pounce on the FBS and the Sun Belt in their debut season. They made a great hire in Willie Fritz, obviously. We know and love him on this program. And then they made a really, really bad hire in Summers, combined with the fact that they haven't raised the kind of money they need to be competitive and maintain the success that they expect as fans. Um, and now they're at rock bottom. So I've been asked, like, who would you hire? What would you do? Um, I I can tell you names, and me and Bill obviously know names that we like and things that we think are cool. But every person that's smarter than us and, like, qualified to do this kind of stuff, I asked they just said, look, it's Georgia Southern. And I can tell you Southern's history in a way that most people can't because that was the team that I grew up watching in college football. Is the team I cheered for. Um, they are the most – they are the simplest program to understand in all of college football, and I think this holds true even now that they're in the FBS and the Sun Belt instead of FCS or 1AA, if you will. 
if if you run the triple option and you support coaches that run the traditional triple option, you will be good. <laughs> and if you don't and you stray away from that, like Tyson Summers or Brian Van Gorder, you will not be good and you will be punished for it. And that's it. That's the answer. I feel like a hypocrite because I love it. I, I do like when it comes to Georgia Southern, I've never, I've never been to, to Statesboro. I have no specific physical tie there. Uh, but I feel like, you know, it's tradition. Get a guy who runs the option. Stop messing yes. around. But I also, you know, reading swing your sword with Mike Leach uh, when that came out, love the tale of him and Hal mummy going down to Valdosta state right. where they only run the option and winging the ball around and, and making the D two quarterfinals a couple times, uh, and getting the Kentucky job out of it because they were, they dared to buck that tradition. And if it I, was, so, if it was 1992, I would totally say do that. But I think the air raid and the spread are no, they're no longer counter programming, right? Everybody runs a spread op, a, a, a spread concept in the Sun Belt, with the exception of Georgia Southern. I would still like I. Well, first of all, yes, go go with an option guy. But regardless of that, like if they wanted to make kind of a shift, I don't think that would necessarily be the end of the world. The problem with Tyson Summers is he didn't commit to anything. He had no idea what he wanted to be. They went and, drastically away from one thing. Realized how bad they'd screwed up in year one. Fired two co-OCs that are now suing the university because of buyout stuff. Jumped deep into the other side of this thing, and then it was too. Basically, it was it was too little, too late. All right. So, um, I don't know, man. People ask like who I would include. Um, go talk to Del McGee. He's an assistant in Georgia right now. He was their interim head coach when they won their bowl game. Maybe should have hired him to start with. Yeah. So, yeah, I definitely thought it was I, – I know he interviewed for that job. Um, so he would be one. Um, Brent Davis is the offensive coordinator at Army. Essentially, you would be getting a, a I mean, to a T, Jeff Munkin disciple, which is what they love and want. Brent Davis is from Athens. He obviously understands Georgia. Um, I'm trying to think of a couple other names. Uh, Ivan I Jasper, really, Ivan Jasper, Ivan Jasper, Ivan Jasper. I don't – well, here's why I'm not including Ivan Jasper on that list. And Too I small him. job. Nah, I mean, that's kind of why, like, a lot of people said Brent Pry, the defensive coordinator at Penn State, because he's interviewed for the job multiple times and just things haven't worked out. I think it's too big for Brent, Brent Pry. I think Ivan Jasper is, and I'm not saying that Niamatanol is going anywhere. I'm just saying if he were to, then you just plug him in. It, Navy, it, yeah. yeah, he is the next Navy. To me, he's the next Navy head coach. If that's five years from now when Ken retires, <laughs> or, or if it's a year from now when Ken says, hey, I want to take on a different challenge. Um, so that's why I don't include Ivan Jasper on the list. I just think if you're Jasper, just stay there. Like it's, it's your program, and you'll do extremely well with it as well as as Nemas Nola did taking over for Johnson. But if you don't think he's going to leave like next year, then I mean maybe you go and you get some experience and then you come home. That's very true. Yeah. No, I, I that's you know what I'll throw him on the list just for that. Um, <laughs> I think the only concern for Georgia Southern there is. What kind of structure? What, what kind of guarantee are you going to build into that structure that he's not one and gone in case in case Ken does go? They just want somebody to build some consistency because Georgia Southern is going to ask for somebody for five years. You know, yeah, that's true. Um, uh, Buster Faulkner is one guy. He was a quarterback of Valdosta. He's the OC at Arkansas State. Yeah. He knows Georgia really well, and also 
Um, he, he was a play caller at, uh, at MTSU. That's what it was. Yeah. Um, so we talk about this program a lot because it's, uh, you know, it's counter programming for college football. They think contrarian, they have really cool traditions, but also like, unlike a lot of other Sunbelt schools and Mac schools or whatever, like Georgia Southern's usually sells out their stadium. They have a fervent following. People care. You know, they are the, they are the rose that grew, <laughs> grew through concrete when it came to funding college football programs for a long time. Um, they just got to fix it. They got to fix it fast too, or they're they're gonna be they're gonna have a ULM type of life for a while if they don't. So, yeah, I don't mind the thought of Del McGee just uh, like say whoops, sorry, and and just go back and 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 try what you should have tried. To oh, uh, another guy I mentioned too, assistant head coach at Tulane, Alex Atkins. He's their offensive line coach and assistant head coach. Um, oh, he's yeah. on the younger side, which I think that he would be younger than Summers, and that might scare them off, but. Um, Really, really sharp guy. He played at UT Martin. Um, and when I was with Fritz at Southern for that embed, like Atkins is a he's a head coach one day, definitely. You can tell. So, um, yeah, so that's a short list there. Um, okay. All right, Bill, I'm going to time warp out of here because guess what? Yep. It's Wednesday and I was never here. Get out of here, jerk. And thanks to the magic of editing, it is now Wednesday. It is no longer Sunday. Uh, Godfrey is gone wherever he went, and I am here instead with Morgan Moriarty of SB Nation. Uh, We are going to walk through the schedule, Morgan, and I know that as a Florida fan, you have thoughts. You have thoughts. Hey, I mean, my team's playing (laughs) UConn, and it's like the third most exciting thing of the season, so... Um, so uh, you have thoughts. You, do, you, do you want to get them out of the way now, or do we want to dive in and wait till we get to Georgia, Florida on the schedule to, to talk about your gators? You can stall if you want. Yeah, we can wait. Okay, okay. Sounds good. All right. So Thursday, uh, we actually sort of have a game. This is unlike uh, the, the Miami-Georgia Tech situation where it gets postponed and suddenly, like, whatever that was, Louisiana-Lafayette-Texas State is your Thursday night game. We've got Stanford at Oregon State at 8 p.m. on ESPN. And actually, that's we have a couple of games earlier. We've got Toledo Ball State. Uh, we've got South Alabama-Georgia State. Uh, Toledo is a good team out of that bunch. Oh, and we have Eastern Michigan, Northern Illinois at 6 p.m. on CBS Sports. If you want to watch Eastern Michigan lose, it's like six straight three-point game. But the headliner is not really Stanford, Oregon State, so much as Bryce Love. Uh, you can be honest. Have you actually seen Bryce Love play live uh, on television this year? Um, not that I can think of. Like, I think I've I had don't think Stanford I have. on, like, in the background, but not – like actively watching Bryce Love. Yeah, this is the, this is their problem. See, I, I watched uh, Rice, <laughs> and I mean, every time he touched the ball, it was a fifty-yard run. But since then, like, I mean, I DVR stuff. I've right. seen him plenty, but it's always on DVR. Most people aren't going to do that, and so you've got this weird situation now where where Saquon Barkley Barkley basically got crowned yeah. Heisman winner the other day. But Bryce Love's numbers are superior in every possible way. Uh, and he plays for a power right. conference team that could win its conference, and nobody really knows. Yeah, so I think this and, is, uh, I mean, not that all that many people watch the Thursday night games, but, I mean, in primetime we could see him, you know, yeah. have a potential Heisman moment. It's it's only 9 p.m. Uh, <laughs> Eastern when they kick off this time. That's like three hours earlier yeah. than normal, so they've got that going for them. Uh, but really that's it. I mean, Oregon State – well, I mean, their coach is already gone. They've packed it in, so this shouldn't be a game. None of these should really be games besides Eastern Michigan, Northern right. Illinois. Uh, but you get Bryce Love. And then on Friday, 
Um, I technically it gets better. Uh, so seven o'clock on Friday, uh, we've got on ESPN Florida State at Boston College. So, uh, we've got Tulane at Memphis at seven on CBS Sports, and we've got Tulsa at SMU at eight. Uh, Tulsa at SMU at eight p.m. on ESPN two. Of those three games. Are you watching one of the AAC games, or are you going to stick with the power conferences, even though it means – actually, I'm going to stop myself. Boston College is now a team that scores exactly. 40 points a game. So that is, that is the most exciting game of the week. Never mind. I just answered my own question. I'm definitely going to watch How? the Florida State game just because if that game is, like, remotely close, which I feel like it might be. Could be. Um, Florida State fans are just going to, like, implode. They're all going to be drinking, watching this road game on Friday night, and it's going to be great. It's been uh, – like, and, and it's not even like Boston College right. can run the ball now. That, that you know, a couple of years ago, that was their thing. You know, they had uh, – what's his name? Andre Williams making the, yeah. the Heisman finals and all that. But now it's Anthony Brown going 19 for 24 for 275 yards against a pretty good Virginia mm-hmm. defense. And they um, have 45 is, on Louisville. I, I, yeah, I, I don't. Week. I don't understand. Like they hadn't scored more than what? Tw- they scored twenty on Notre Dame, ten on Wake Forest, and seven on Clemson, and ten on Virginia Tech. And now they're a powerhouse. So yeah, I mean, I guess watch just to see if that continues. If they've really found something, because Florida State is does seem a little, we'll say, psychologically vulnerable at the moment. They're not really. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. They're not, they're not fully Florida State, and um, they, they've obviously got uh, you know, all the talent in the world, and they should be able to handle this one. But if Boston College is explosive now, they still got a decent defense. Uh, that, for I never Florida thought State I'd hear Boston College and explosive like, in the same sense. Yeah, no, it's, this is the world we live in. Uh, things change every week. Uh, Boston College has an offense, and Arizona State has a defense. It's just you know the way things are. Um, but yeah, I mean, so that's interesting. Tulsa SMU. Tulsa isn't Tulsa like they were last year, but that should be a, a shootout. Tulane is actually pretty good, so Tulane Memphis should be pretty fun. Uh, but th- just from the Schadenfreude potential a- alone, FSU BC <laughs> might be uh, worth the watch. Uh, so now early session on Saturday. Uh, usually what we do here is we, we force ourselves to pick a game that we're going to, to kind of stand by. Uh, we'll do this here. It's really hard for two out of the three sessions on Saturday. But uh, technically it has to be done. So Saturday morning, uh, 10.30 Eastern on CBS Sports, we, we load up the day with Buffalo Akron. Uh, if you're not really interested in Lee Corso and the, and the mascot heads, go on and check out you know the Zips. Um, but then the action really starts at 11 a.m. Obviously, you've got Arkansas at Ole Miss on SEC Network. You've got I will put in a plug for Dartmouth Harvard on the on Nesson on E N N E S N. You even get uh, who gets Nesson? I, I do not know. Uh, there's a link to a pay per view if you really really <laughs> wanted to watch Dartmouth Harvard. I think it looks like you can do it for pay per view as well. But um, regardless, I, I'll put in a plug for every Ivy League game I've watched this season has had some crazy weird little offense, whether it's Dartmouth or Princeton or, or whoever. Lots of lots of fun going down in the in the Ivy League. Uh, you're not going to watch it though. Uh, moving on, Oklahoma <laughs> State at West Virginia, ABC. Um, Miami, North Carolina at, uh, at 11 on ESPN2, Rutgers at Michigan on BTN, Texas at Baylor on ESPNU, Wisconsin at Illinois on ESPN, uh, Louisville at Wake Forest at 11.20 on your ACC network, ESPN Extra, find the random channel on your cable <laughs> system, uh, whatever right that channel is. I, I, network. Yeah, it's like channel Something 8 like for me. Like, 
my like all my my HD channels are in the seven hundreds, but ACC Network is like eight. Um, we've got Virginia Pittsburgh on one of the FSNs at eleven thirty, and then we've got uh, that's it. Until, well, we've got Cal Colorado at one on the Pac twelve Network. Uh, and then uh, the, the Kennesaw State fighting Jason Kirks at Presbyterian <laughs> on Big South video at 1.30. Uh, and then you've got Air Force Colorado State at 2 on CBS Sports. And I, actually, I will stop there. So uh, aside from Kennesaw State Presbyterian, which is obviously, <laughs> uh, you know, we've got a home field interest in that one. Uh, wh- I mean, are, is it Oklahoma State, West Virginia? Can you, make a, can you make a pitch for any of these other games on that early slate? Um, I mean, like from a strict good game point of view, <laughs> Oklahoma State, West Virginia. But I might be down for some Arkansas Ole Miss just because Ooh. I could see that game being like really just bad football and, and ugly. Yeah, I have at some point I'm going to to dive into this a little bit. I've I've mentioned that on this show a couple of times. I've had it float into my head for a while. Like Brett Bielema didn't suddenly become a bad coach. Um, and if you go, if you go and take the guy who goes to the Rose bowl every year at Wisconsin, um, and you bring him to Arkansas and then suddenly you're in a situation where he's going like four and eight or or worse, Mm -hmm. whatever they end up doing this year, just getting drubbed every single week. Uh, now you're looking at his buyout information and all this other stuff. Like that kind of has to be on the athletic director too. Like what is he, what is Brett Bielema not getting? Uh, that that has made him. I mean, obviously the the division's harder, mm-hmm. but like just from a pure ratings standpoint, from a pure quality standpoint, he's not hitting the same mark at Arkansas that he was hitting at Wisconsin, obviously. And like, what is he not getting? Is it assistant pay? Is it the right assistant? So like, something has gone wrong besides Brett Bielema just forgetting what he's doing. Yeah, and I uh, wonder if too like the style of his play, like offensive line, ground and pound, like maybe mm. that didn't translate to the SEC and specifically the SEC West as yeah, well as like people thought it would. Yeah. Cause I mean, that's, um, I mean, that's a good point because uh, while we always talk about the size of their offensive <laughs> line, uh, you know, they've, they've never really had more than about two good offensive right. linemen there. It's, it's always been kind of an under overrated uh, run mm-hmm. game. Uh, now they don't really have that. They don't really have a passing game. They don't really have a defense. And I think recruiting um, kind of plays in with that too, because yeah. you know you might not get the offensive line at Arkansas that you would at a Big Ten place like Wisconsin. And I think what we're seeing too with Wisconsin is that you know whatever he's not getting at Arkansas, everybody gets at Wisconsin. Right. Yeah, like the support system, the walk-on program, the ability to just kind of drive ten miles and find some six-seven kid that you can put fifty mm-hmm. pounds of muscle on. Um, like the, the, there are limitations at Wisconsin, but for his style of play, Madison, Wisconsin might be the greatest place on <laughs> earth to find what he needs. So yeah, that one's going to be, cause Ole Miss, no Shea Patterson, the, they really did show some upside at times this year, but you figure they might be about done. Yeah. It, it certainly looks like Arkansas is done. Um, but one of the, <laughs> something has to give, one of them has to win this game. I guess really, uh, like, obviously Oklahoma State, West Virginia is the big one here. West West Virginia and Oklahoma State, I have a Big 12 produ- uh, projections post going up later today uh, that will, I believe, say that OSU is the second best odds of winning the conference right now. West Virginia is fifth. And obviously that could change quite a bit. Plus you've got Gundy versus his old offensive coordinator. Um, it, it, that, should be, that should be a legitimately high-quality game. I'm just not sure that there's a second one here. Yeah, so. I'm right there with you. And now to the afternoon slate where I've got to say, 
I'm really, really annoyed at the college football gods because all year we've been complaining about too many big games being on in the evening. And so the response was to just put all the big games on at 2.30 and have nothing in the evening. So, hooray. Not the solution. No, I, I don't think that's probably the best way to go about it. Um, all right, so starting at 2 central time, God's time, uh, we've got Air Force of Colorado State on CBSSN. If you're interested in the Mountain West, that is a very big uh, matchup. I think Colorado State still has a very good shot at, at, at running the table, but Air Force is, you know, Air Force. Um, Kansas State of Kansas at 2 on FS1. We will skip right over that one. San Jose State at BYU uh, on BYU TV and ESPN3. Appalachian State at UMass at 2.30 on Nesson. Florida, Georgia, CBS, 2.30. Uh, Indiana, Maryland on BTN. Michigan State at Northwestern on ESPN. NC State at Notre Dame on NBC. (laughs) So many. Penn State at Ohio State on Fox. TCU at Iowa State. A very big Big 12 matchup on ESPN2 or ABC. UCLA at Washington on ESPN2 or ABC. Houston at South Florida on ESPNU at 245. Uh, Vanderbilt at South Carolina at 3 on SEC Network. Utah at Oregon at 445 on Pac-12. Minnesota, Iowa at 530 on FS1. And then the the grand finale. Uh, We all know that no matter what's going on in those other games, Come 5.30 Central Time, you're, slip, you're flipping over to CBS Sports uh, for the, the easily, I think, the biggest game of the weekend, uh, the rematch of the 9-6 game from 2015, Missouri at UConn. How many points do you think is going to be scored in that game? I guarantee it will be more than 15 combined <laughs> points this time. Um, it might be a three-point game again, but it will be 49-46. to 46. And to be honest, I would prefer that. I think everyone would. No, that was still. For whatever reason, I decided to. I, I voluntarily decided to relive the the 2015 game over the summer and nine six game without a field goal. <laughs> it's just the the most disgusting game in the history of college football. Anyway, or the uh, most beautiful, depending on. Uh, <laughs> I'm all about you know I have the beholder and all that, but whoo, <laughs> that was. And then, and then Missouri only won because UConn was lining up for the game tying field goal, and and everybody in the stadium knew they were going to fake it, and they did, and it was picked off. So that was, I mean, it was merciful. They didn't go over to, go to overtime, but anyway, anyway. So Florida Georgia, I, I'm guessing you have thoughts about Florida Georgia. I do have thoughts. Um, for those of you who don't know, even though you probably do if you follow me on Twitter, um, I went to Florida, so. Um, Obviously, this is always a huge game um, in Jacksonville. But I feel like, and and this is like with respect to the last three years, like Florida had no business of winning. Like, especially in 2014, I think Georgia was like eighth in the country in the college football playoff rankings, and Florida ends up like beating them really soundly, all while completing all of like two passes. <laughs> Um, and then, of course, they do it again in 2015 and 2016. So I feel like Florida fans are kind of, like, confident on that fact. But, I mean, just looking at what Georgia did to Vanderbilt and Tennessee and what Florida did, I don't know. I just I, – I mean, I would obviously love to see Florida win on Saturday, but I, I, don't, I don't really see it happening. But a lot of Florida fans do think that, um, you know, they – kind of have an edge over Georgia that Georgia always just kind of lays an egg in this game 
Well, I mean, it's certainly been the case recently. Um, let's see. So, yeah, they've won three in a row. The last loss was 23-20 in 2013. Um, but even that game, Georgia was the better team right. and still almost blew and it. And Todd so. Gurley, like, single-handedly ran down, like, a 7.30 clock to win that <laughs> game. I was there in person. That was not fun. <laughs> yeah, this one um, – I mean, I, I I definitely get it. And it's funny, you're talking about optimistic Florida fans. I've definitely picked up on some pessimistic Georgia <laughs> fans, too. Like, anytime I've mentioned, um, you know, the the slate that Georgia has ahead of them and the, the, the way things are setting up really, really nicely, everybody is – it's like a scar. It's like something they can't avoid. They're just, oh, yeah, but but Florida, stupid. <laughs> F- stupid things happen, Florida. That's true. And so maybe it is – I mean, obviously um, – Second-year coach. I mean, Kirby Smart's only laid one egg in the series. Right. Uh, but it is – on paper, this is not a game. But rivalries are dumb. Rivalries <laughs> are dumb and weird, and, and who knows? Yeah, this has gotten extra weird. And also, the other thing about Florida this week, um, if we want to talk about the Jim McElwain stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, earlier this week, he – randomly out of the blue unprompted said that he and some of the coaches and players had received death threats um and literally wouldn't expand on it whatsoever um florida apparently asked jim McElwain, you know what what's the deal and he said that um they said he he provided like no additional details um and he has been asked about it again today so this is wednesday um and he said he'll share details on the threats, quote, when it becomes unmanageable. So I, this whole thing is, like, really weird. And, yeah. I mean, because he's being so vague about it, it's easy to think that he just might be fabricating and, and trying to right. create, like, a narrative. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure, it, you know, get, to ask an intern to spend 10 minutes on Twitter, they'll find some pretty nasty <laughs> right. stuff. But I mean, yeah. Once you once you say the words death threats, uh, it does kind of be, you know almost seem to become a you need to prove this now. Give us what you've got, kind of thing. So, and I feel you know, like I Florida know. fans are frustrated, but like Florida's still like three and three. It's not like they're like zero oh and six. <laughs> I mean, it could be worse, but I don't. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, obviously, we we kind of think we know where the season right. is going for both Florida and Florida State. But it hasn't gone there yet. Um, and this is a really weird situation for Florida. Obviously, the defense, uh, not, not the death threats, but the team on the field. Um, obviously, the defense isn't as strong as it usually is. Mm-hmm. And, and with the turnover, that was to be expected. Basically, from a numbers perspective, I can say that, you know, from like they're still aggressive. They're still pretty efficient. But now the big plays are really big. Yeah. And losing um, um, Jordan Sherritt is really big, too. Yeah. And so it's it's not hard to see. Georgia not doing what they did to Missouri because that was amazing, uh, but some like facsimile of what they did to to to, to Missouri in terms of getting on the edge, um, hurdling defenders who are a step slow, uh, getting over uh, and doing pretty nasty things overall. But uh, you know, it's still when you've got you're just a couple turnovers away, I think, from from making this an interesting game. Uh, kind of the the slog that Florida probably wants to make it, but yeah, it's. It's, it's, uh, you could probably say this a lot. It seems like it's been a pretty weird week for Florida fans. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a fair statement. <laughs> so um, moving on to the evening slate then, uh, starting at 6 p.m. Central, 
we've got, well, at 6 p.m., we've got the the aforementioned amazing Ivy League. We've got Cornell Princeton on NBC Sports, and I, I will repeat, Princeton's offense is fun. Um, so if you're not, for whatever reason, you're not watching UConn, Missouri, <laughs> then before the other games start. And I was really, I was going to say before the big games start, there are no big games in the evening this time. So, hey, settle down with <laughs> Cornell Princeton. Watch it a little bit. Uh, 6-15, Mississippi State at Texas A&M on ESPN. That's your ESPN game. Oh, God. Which, which I mean, to, you know, to, to be fair, it could be pretty interesting. A&M's got something to prove. Mississippi State really might be pretty good. But really, that's, that's your ESPN game. Um, Duke at, at Virginia Tech at 620 on the ACC network, subject to blackout, according to the <laughs> LSU football.net, whatever that means. New Mexico State at Wyoming on ESPNU. Uh, Nebraska at Purdue at 630 on BTN. Tennessee at Kentucky uh, at 630 oh, uh, on SEC network. But I just feel I, like he's wa- like walking into that game is like walking across like landmines. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, if Kentucky's proven anything, it's that um, they will take all the luck. Yeah, they will. If this is a close game, well, number one, it will be a close game because it's Kentucky. Um, and number two, they don't they're, they're pretty good at operating in those close games. Tennessee has not really proven that this year. So, well, OK, that's not fair. They, they beat Georgia Tech. But regardless, that was <laughs> back when they could score. Yeah. So, yeah, this one really does feel like the game Butch has to win and it's going to be tricky. Um. Seven o'clock uh, on ESPN three. We've got Arkansas State and New Mexico State. Really, another huge game, as far <laughs> as I'm concerned. As far as the PEAPN listenership goes, uh, that's one of the biggest games of the week. Uh, if New Mexico State wins that one, they're absolutely bowling, but they probably won't. Uh, Georgia Tech at Clemson, seven p.m. on ESPN two, two. <laughs> oh, or ABC. I got it. Um, hmm. Okay, that one feels like an ESPN game to me instead of ESPN2, but whatever. Um, uh, Also 7 o'clock on either ESPN2 or ABC, you've got Texas Tech at Oklahoma. Uh, And then uh, we'll stop there before the night shift. So with that loaded slate right there, (laughs) assuming it's not Cornell Princeton, what are you watching uh, in this little uh, stretch right here? I don't even want to watch any of these games. Whatever you didn't watch live, whatever you DVR'd from 2.30? Yeah. Um... I guess Georgia Tech Clemson because I feel like that game is going to be like weirdly entertaining, or Texas yeah, been... Tech at Oklahoma just for like a shootout. Yeah, yeah, no, that one's because uh, Tech's good enough at like the you know Tech has been once again back to the point where they're good enough to lose competitive games. Yeah, um, yeah, Georgia Tech Clemson is kind of weird because I mean Tech is legitimately solid. Right. Um, this is a better version of Georgia Tech than we've seen the last couple of years, I think, but. They kind of have to prove that they can move the ball on Clemson. Venables has, you know, hit that line has been able to disrupt Georgia Tech's plans as well mm-hmm. as anybody in the last couple of years. And so if they prove they can move the ball a little bit, Clemson's not going to, you know, go crazy on the scoreboard, I don't think. That could be a game. But, yeah, they gotta they got to prove they're not just going three and out every time. So. Those are my two. Other than that, nothing. I, I made fun of Mississippi State, Texas A&M, but I have the feeling I'll be watching quite a bit of Mississippi yeah. State, Texas A&M in this slot. Um, just, I mean, yeah, Fitzgerald, Mississippi State seems to be t- uh, looking pretty good again. Uh, Texas A&M's been a little lucky, so I guess I will wholeheartedly endorse <laughs> that one. Um, night, night shift. Pretty good night shift. We've got uh, at 8.30 p.m. on Pac-12, uh, we've got Washington State at Arizona. Um 
be sure to, you know, none of us have Pac-12 Network, I'm guessing, but, you know, uh, just stay tuned to Twitter for all the Khalil Tate 70-yard touchdown highlights. Um, 9 p.m., you've got Boise State at Utah State on CBS Sports. 9 p.m., you've also got UNLV at Fresno State on uh, Rocky Mountain Sports Network, whatever, Mountain West video, so you can watch it online. Fresno State, uh, legitimately good, I think. Jeff Tefford has done pretty ridiculous things there. And, and so, yeah, pull that up on your computer or whatever. 9.45, USC at Arizona State on ESPN. And then 10.15, San Diego State at Hawaii. So, so, so I don't know if you know, these are the central times again. Yes. Hawaii is kicking off at 11.15 Eastern. I'm yes. so in. I'm sure you can find a feed with, with, with our boy uh, Robert Kakala yeah. on there. Um, which really, I mean, if, if you're going to watch Hawaii, it'd be silly not to do it without the Hawaii announcers. Um, you know, I think Boise uh, of that group, I mean, obviously USC, Arizona state is the headliner, especially if Arizona state really has figured out defense, because if they win that game, they almost become your PAC 12 South uh, favorites, or at least Arizona versus Arizona state becomes the game that decides it, which is not the way I saw this going. I mean, how about Doug Graham? I mean, we were, I mean, he was on the hot seat after last yeah. season, and a lot of Arizona State fans were not happy with him. But yeah, as of like two weeks ago, and yeah. then um, and then they just they they suddenly I mean they they absolutely just shut down Washington. Yeah, they do the same to Utah for about like three quarters at least. And no, I mean like I said, they're the Boston College of defense at the moment. Um, and I do, I mean, I, Todd Graham's not the easiest guy in the world to, to really you know love. Mm-hmm. But I did feel kind of bad for him because he did lose just a ton of of really good assistants, the Mike Norvells and, right. and everything. Um, and, you know, he had to replace so many in a short amount of time. He didn't do a very good job of it because very few would. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's two weeks, so we'll see if it keeps up. But if it does, I mean, they really could suddenly find themselves in the Pac-12 title game all of a sudden if they keep it up. That's That's insane to think about. <laughs> Yeah, and interesting to see how USC responds because I don't think anyone expected that Notre Dame game last week to go the way it did, or at least I didn't. No, um, I mean, you, I mean Notre Dame winning wasn't a surprise, but I mean they just got they got floored, right? And um, you know they USC hasn't always been uh, the most. What, what did I say earlier about Florida State? Psychologically vulnerable. Yeah, um, they're a relatively psychologically vulnerable program sometimes. So they've got something to prove, too. This could be – I mean, that game could be a blowout in either direction, yeah, I think. I could see that. All right, so then rolling through the last part here, the non-televised games, I'm going to scroll through real quickly to see what's interesting. We've got – if you want to pull up the old Facebook, you've got Florida International at Marshall at, on Facebook at 1.30. Uh, if you want to check out Lane Kiffin's uh, juggernaut, <laughs> they are going to Western Kentucky playing on Stadium, which is – a site, a website you go to and you click on it and you watch the games. That's uh, whatever at 3.30. Um, Just pull that up with the 10 other games that are going on that time. Right, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, you're DVRing the others. Probably can't DVRstadium.com, so, you know, you can just watch it there. Uh, that looks really, unless I'm missing one, that's probably about it. Uh, UCF, the powerhouse, the best team in Florida, um, is playing Austin P on ESPN three midday. You're not going to watch it and they'll probably win 80 to nothing, but that's looking like about it. So yeah, it really is the, just this strange thing where we're going back to like 1997 where all the big games are on at two 30 
And, um, I, I mean, there's some pretty cool stuff here. And I, I, I just wish it wasn't all along. Penn State, Ohio State. Uh, who, who do, what do you say uh, comes of that one? Yeah, I think this is really interesting. Um, I feel like I want to kind of go with Ohio State here, but Penn State has just looked so good, and especially with Saquon Barkley um, and Trace McSorley, like, bouncing that offense as well. So it's going to be interesting. Urban Meyer has already said, you know, that revenge obviously can be, like, a motivating factor. In fact, he said, hell yeah, it is. (laughs) Exact quote. Um, So, I mean, if I was him, I would definitely be preaching that in the locker room. He kind of downplayed it and said, well, we'll see, you know, how the young guys respond this week and whatnot. But um, I wish that game was a night game. It feels weird that it's at 3.30. And I, and I wish Ohio State wasn't wearing, didn't have like those red Buckeyes or whatever I saw on that helmet thing. I, didn't. Like, <laughs> I think Buckeyes I are like color, it. My God. I like the uniform <laughs> and the new LeBron. Well, I think, yeah, the new LeBrons I have no problem with. I just, you know, Buckeyes should be one color, by God. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've been assuming all year that no matter how good Penn State is, you're probably not going to win in Columbus. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with that because even though Ohio State really has just been a wrecking ball since the Oklahoma game. Right. Penn State has passed every single test they've gotten. I mean, they uh, have been keeping as many cards close to the vest as possible. Every time they need one, they they whip out a new card and it works perfectly. They they got their close game, you know, their close road game against Iowa where they should have been killing them but didn't. So they just calmly marched down the field and scored the game winning touchdown. Uh, they really, this is a very well coached, very mature Penn State team. I just, Ohio State at home. Ohio State maybe has been the best team in the country the last month. Mm-hmm. I'm going to assume that's enough and they get it done, but I'm, I'm less sure about that than I thought I was going to be. Yeah. And this, I mean, it's kind of interesting looking at this game when seeing what happened at the end of last year. Obviously, Penn State beats Ohio State. OSU still goes to the college football right. playoff. It's kind of like, I mean, it could go either way depending on who wins on Saturday. Yeah, that's actually, yeah, we could see the exact opposite. Penn State could lose, finish 11-1. Ohio State loses to, well, probably not Michigan, but somebody, uh, wins the Big Ten, uh, and Penn State goes. It would only be fair, really. Yeah, and Ohio State already has that loss to Oklahoma, too, which, you know, doesn't look like, it looks worse now than it did earlier in the season. Well, it's kind of funny, like, if if OU finishes, like, 10-2 and and misses out on the Big 12 title game, Mm -hmm. I think that goes down as a quality loss uh, that they don't really pay for. But right. then if OU wins the Big 12 and is one of the co- the playoff uh, competitors, it might bump them ahead of Ohio State. It might bump Ohio State down because it becomes like an important head-to-head thing. It's kind of Maybe funny if how we that get works. lucky, we'll see this is the first time two teams from the same conference make it in. Maybe? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, if you're talking about pure quality, there's a case to be made for Alabama, Georgia, Penn State, and Ohio State making yeah. it. But uh, we'll see how the cards all, all lay, play out there. But that is certainly – you can make a case that they've been the four best teams in the country. Um, let's see. Uh, there was another game I was going to ask about. Oh, yeah. Uh, does TCU stay undefeated in Ames? <sighs> this game's at 3.30, right? Mm-hmm. If it was a night game, I would probably say no, um, just because um, Ames is crazy at night. Um, but I don't know. I'm going to go with TCU on this one. They've just TCU's looked like really, really good. Yeah, they've looked like so good. And Iowa State, I mean, they've gotten a lot better this season and in, in the last couple weeks, but I, I don't see it. Yeah, they're legitimately good, but they're top 30 good. TCU really might be top 
you know, six good. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you, you would assume that this TCU team handles that. But that's another so much pay attention to midday. Like I said, DVR it. Watch when, when, the, when the evening games get boring. Pull up whatever you missed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, I, I do appreciate Morgan stopping by. I'm going to, I'm going to get out of here before my voice goes out, uh, any second now. Um, but I do appreciate it. And the, your PAPN will be back to regular scheduling on Sunday evening. Godfrey should be back from parts unknown at that point. And, uh, we, the ship will continue to sail. Uh, but thanks for stopping by Morgan. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right. We'll see you guys later.